Hello, hello, my dear audience. Here in the United States and out there in the big world, I'm Peter Resnick. And welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Ay, ay, ay. There is so much I want to share with you today. As you know, every other Tuesday I speak on some subject of healing and health maintenance. And every other Tuesday I invite a special guest who is an expert in some area of health care and uh, wellness. Last week we had Dr. Rafaelov as our guest who spoke about strengthening our bones and avoiding osteoporosis in as little as 10 minutes uh, a day exercise. If you miss the show and are interested in the subject, you can find it on my page on PRN. Today, I intended to continue our journey of discovering the six pillars of well-being. And I still do intend to do that. But this weekend, I realized that there is something I overlooked. I'm trying to fix it. Something that is really, something that is related to every aspect of our being, one way or another. And it is to be acknowledged and commemorated at this, at the end of this uh, week, this weekend. What I'm talking about is the Hebrew holiday of Passover. If this event was referring to only a page in the history of the Hebrew people, it would be unfair of me to waste your time on such an insignificant event. After all, the Jews are only 0.2% of the population of the world. Not 2%, but 0.2%. Uh, it is one-fifth of 1%. Out of 7.5 billion people, only 15 million uh, Jews. So why do I speak about one of the holidays of this the least numerous group of people in the world. I tell you why. Because though the event happened about 3,380 years ago to one group of people, it became a universal symbol of all people coming out of bondage, people yearning for freedom. For example, when Dr. Martin Luther King said the famous words, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Or these words, I have seen the promised land. Dr. King is referring precisely to this event. By the way, the Bible tells us that the Hebrew people were multiplying despite being slaves, meaning that they had at least food to eat, maybe not so great, but it was there for them. They had a place to sleep. They could have families. That's, that was how they multiplied. So yes, they were slaves, but they were alive and in a relative safety, as long as they did the bidding of their masters. Yet they left Egypt with all its security in the next meal and knowing what would come next. For what? For desert, there were snakes there, there were uh, scorpions, no food, no water. Yet they took that risk, that leap into the unknown. And so staying, if we relate it to us, 
to what's happening with our lives today. Staying in a safe, uh, predictable and habitual life, whether it is the job you don't like or a relationship that is not so great, but at least, at least you are in one. Whether it is the comfort of being uh, convinced that you are right, always right, or working day and night because you're afraid that it will not be enough. Whether it is habitual lying or showing off to boost your ego. All these are the various ways we keep ourselves back in slavery, back in Egypt, with its predictability and the shackles. For this holiday, which as I said, symbol symbolically can be related to by anyone, uh, even if they are total atheists. I created a series of mental imagery exercises, two of which I would like to take you through today. Now, if you're not familiar with the use of mental imagery or feel apprehensive about participating in this exercise, uh, just don't. But I would recommend if you are interested in, in how imagination works or these kind of exercises, you can always go back uh, to my page and, and listen to this again. Uh, I would recommend then after the show, you go to my website, drpeterresnik.com and read the article called Therapeutic Use of Imagination. Then you may be more comfortable using mental imagery in the future. And now, if you have the opportunity, sit comfortably in a chair and close your eyes. And by the way, if you are not comfortable closing your eyes, you can still see or imagine things even with your eyes closed. You know, like when you are daydreaming, you can be staring at the road and images still pop into your mind or thoughts. So that's perfectly fine. But the best is close your eyes and breathe out gently. Long, slow exhalations, nice and easy inhalations, breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. See and know how coming out of Egypt is one time event in the human history. Breathe out one time. See, know and feel how staying out of Egypt is a life task of each individual. When ready, open your eyes. Just think what images came to you spontaneously, if anything did, or what words popped into your mind. And think if they're telling you anything of value. And now, once again, close your eyes. Breathe out gently three times. Long, slow exhalation. Nice and regular inhalation. Breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. And see and know yourself as a slave of your life. Fed, clothed, working and living habitually. 
with your eyes closed, breathe out one time gently. And hear the voice commanding you to get yourself out of the slavery of habitual life. Know where these words are coming from. When ready, open your eyes. You can continue just listening to me or you can take your time, make notes or think of what came into your mind. Think if there is anything you can learn from this experience. If you have questions or want to share with your experience, you can call, you can call me right now. And the number is 888-874-4888. I repeat, 888-874-4888. And again, you can always call. You can call me during the show and I will do my best to take the call and you can share with your thoughts or you can ask any question. Okay. If you would like, you also can send me an email uh, at uh, drpeterresnik at gmail.com. Now I will end this detour into the Passover holiday by, by quoting uh, my teacher of blessed memory, Colette, who said, Nothing of true value happens unless you make a leap into uncertainty. I hope these special days and the words of my teacher will inspire you to look at your life and examine if there are any chains uh, that you need to drop. And now we are ready to go back to our topic. I wanted to cover today, as I said, the six pillars of well-being. We already covered almost three pillars, the physical reality, pillar one, pillar two, our thoughts, feelings, and self-talk, and pillar three, social conditioning. Though the social conditioning, we did not finish. Uh, and I want to talk about it a little more. But after the third pillar, the journey will become somewhat steeper. To give you an idea, uh, I told you that I have this program, the whole program recorded on 12 videos, part of which I'm sharing with you during these shows. The pillar one, two, and three are covered in the first four videos. To cover the remaining three pillars, I needed eight more videos. And journey, journeying through the remaining three pillars entails going through a lot of mental exercises and a lot of assignments uh, for practicing that I give you after the show. Today, I will be able to finish, I think, uh, the social conditioning and do part uh, of the fourth pillar, the our unconscious beliefs and attitudes about life. Um, I, I'm questioning now, as I, as, I, as I mentioned, unconscious beliefs. I'm questioning, does everyone know what unconscious, or sometimes they call it subconscious mind is? Uh, it's important that everybody understands what it is and how it works. Then it will be clear why 
becoming aware of your unconscious beliefs is so important. Just to make sure, let me quickly, it's another detour, I'm sorry. Let me quickly go over it. Our conscious mind is what we use when we think or perceive reality uh, with our senses. For example, you are listening to me. It means uh, your auditory system, which is a part of your conscious mind, is active right now. You are maybe walking or driving. It means that your motor system is active, which is also part of the conscious mind and so on. But your autonomic nervous system, the function that controls functions of your internal organs, your heart, your lungs, your stomach, are under control of the subconscious mind. But there is another function of the subconscious mind that is interesting for us today. And that is that it stores all our memories and all associations. That is why, for example, when the light turns red, even if you think about something entirely different, you automatically stop. Your subconscious mind stored an association between the red light and the message stop, which was repeated over and over again when you were a child. And there may be other associations in your subconscious mind related to life, which are no longer relevant to your present life conditions. But the moment you encounter the situation that is reminiscent of that association that was planted possibly years and years ago, you react without thinking. Can you think of something like this? You, you do something and then you say, why? why in the world did I do that? That is why it is important to discover that what your subconscious patterns or call them beliefs or programs are. And if they are positive, life-affirming, and serve you well in the now, that is fantastic. And if they are not, there is a way to change them. That's what I will be talking about today, just a bit later. But first, let me tell you what's going to happen next week. Remember, I tell you usually what's ahead, because so you would prepare yourself and know if you want to be with me. Next week, I will have a very special guest. It's not a simple task to describe what, he, what his specialty is, though he is definitely a part of the healing community. His name is Vladimir Engert. He started his journey in life as a unique child with a special gift, which at first, as it happens in many families, was not taken seriously. He was able to see things which happened somewhere else or to someone else uh, and he could not possibly have known uh, what was happening because it was on a long distance uh, so these days they call it psychic abilities uh, and in this his 20s they told him now who they i am still wondering but they told him that he will be able to heal people and so started his career as what I call energy healer. He will tell you uh, how he defines it and what he does. Uh, since then, in the last couple of decades, he worked with and was able to help thousands of seriously ill people, including cancer patients and people who were in coma 
which is verified by numerous medical records. He is a very interesting, talented, and thought-provoking individual. I am quite certain that you will find uh, this interview compelling. So please be with me, with us uh, next week. I would like to remind you that you can write to me an email if you have some questions or requests. And now, finally, we go back to our topic, finishing up with the third pillar of well-being, uh, social conditioning. Two weeks ago, I spoke about the confusion some people have between their needs, what their needs are, and what really uh, true needs are, uh, and what their wants are. So there, there is a confusion. I want or I need. I will tell you what true needs are, what I believe the true needs are. Uh, but much better than I did, Dr. William Glasser, unfortunately late, uh, he died uh, just quite recently. Dr. William Glasser defined the true needs and I totally share his understanding of the needs. He said that all human behavior is purposeful. It is our best attempt to meet one or more of our basic human needs, the needs which evolved over time and have become a part of our genetic structure. Building or fulfilling these needs is the general motivation for everything we do. So I will be telling you now, according to Dr. Glasser, what this uh, basically he defined five basic needs. One is the need for safety and survival. This need is a physiological need, which includes the need for food, shelter, or safety. Um, because we have these genetic instructions to survive, not only as individuals, but as a species. Then that includes also the need to reproduce, and the sexual impulse is part of that need. The second need is for love and belonging. This need and the following three needs are really psychological needs. The need for love and belonging includes the need for relationships, social connectedness, uh, giving and receiving affection, being connected uh, with individuals and or groups. Uh, so that's not something that uh, people kind of like to be. It would be nice to be in a relationship. But I believe, what Dr. Glasser believes, it's really a human need. And indeed, you heard me probably say uh, in other talks that the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our relationships. The third need is the need for power. To be powerful is to achieve to be competent, to be skilled, to be recognized for our achievements and skill, to be listened to, and to have sense of worth. So every person has that need uh, for recognition, whether or not they want to admit it. The fourth human need is the need for freedom. The need to be free is the need for independence, autonomy, to have choices and to be able to control the direction of one's life. Though uh, I found over the years that some people may choose to deny this freedom to themselves in exchange for satisfying their need for safety and security. You may think of examples yourself.
And finally, the fifth need is the need for fun. Uh, the need for fun is the need to find pleasure and play and love. If you doubt that it is an important need and as, as important as of all others, uh, imagine life without hope of any enjoy, enjoyment. Dr. Glasser links the need for fun to learning. And in fact, all the animals like door, like higher animals, dogs, dolphins, primates, all play. As they play, they learn important skills. Human beings are no, no different. So when people focus their attention on their need to, for new shoes, or the need for a new car, or the need for a new rug in the hallway, it often takes so much of their energy and attention that there is no time or energy to focus on addressing the real needs that we have. And of course, the media and the whole new television, we need those new toys or whatever the new thing is on the market. By examining thoroughly one by one what our real needs are, we can escape the whirlwind of this hypnosis of social conditioning for more, better and different, more, better and different. And then we can avail our mind and our spirit to fulfill our real needs and the purpose uh, in our life and purposeful, have purposeful goals. Uh, I will repeat quickly now the basic needs, safety, survival, love, belonging, power, freedom, and fun. And one of or more of these needs is not fulfilled. Rather than doing the hard work of fulfilling them, some people fill their lives with invented needs, which are conveniently offered to us, to, to them by special interest. So my advice, Take your time and examine if your real needs are fulfilled. Now, finally, from the third pillar of well-being, uh, I wanted to say a few words about success. Um, there, there is a wonderful book many years ago. I read it, A One-Dimensional Man by Herbert Mercuse who wrote, people recognize themselves in, in their commodities. They have become what they own. They have become what they do. As a psychotherapist in my office, I have seen clients not take a low paying job uh, that they loved, not because they couldn't pay their bills. In fact, people had money, but because of fear that they will suffer, that it will affect their self-esteem to get a job with so little pay. I have seen parents of a man who was a wonderful carpenter many years ago and loved his job. He was happily married to a kindergarten teacher. Both parents were depressed and that's why they came to see me. It hurt them to see that their boy did with his life because for the, he came from the family of doctors and lawyers. Uh, I was a businessman, said one man to me. He worked day and night 
he subordinated his whole life to business and business only. And he felt great about himself. And then he lost his business and his life was over. His life lost meaning. In the pursuit of achieving what they believe uh, a successful right, quote, look, women starve themselves on brutal, unhealthy diets. Men spend hours building muscles in a gym. Men and women become workaholics, forgetting to enjoy the fruits of their labor. It appears that the farther we go in the search of gaining more esteem or having more than, being better than, uh, becoming different from, the more alienated and unfulfilled we become. The more we hear about teenage suicide, um, people suffering because they don't feel successful. According to who? According to the trend that the society follows at that particular decade. You know, I remember 40 years ago when I just arrived to the United States, my English as a second language professor, uh, Robert Fredericks, who became a lifelong friend, knowing that, that all his students were just off the boat, made us learn our first poem in English. And I remember it, I can recite it. It was about success. Success is speaking words of praise, is cheering other people's ways. It's doing just the best you can with every task and every plan. And it went on speaking about what true success was. Thank you, Robert. It was true then, it is true now. And doing just the best you can, in my opinion, is success. Success is having a vision and giving your best shot at making that vision a reality. It's connecting with what is valuable to you and pursuing it no matter what other people think about it and celebrating your best try regardless of the outcome. Think about what success is to you. Are there social pressures that encourage you to go against your aspirations? And what can be done about it? What can you done, do about about do following what your heart is telling you, not what the world or somebody, your family, your community, society is telling you. You have to live your life. There is only one of you. And now finally, we move to the fourth pillar uh, on which our well-being is arrested. And that is our unconscious beliefs and attitudes about life. These beliefs, even though we may not be consciously aware of, uh, do greatly affect how we feel and act in life. And our journey will consist of two parts. First, I will guide you through a series of mental exercises, which will allow you to look deep into yourself. Maybe we'll only start today and continue next time, which means two weeks from now. The tool that will allow us to look deep into yourself uh, and identify beliefs that you have about yourself and life is the tool um, that I already spoke here about. And it's to the tool of mental imagery or imagination. 
I will just remind you a bit of what it is and why it's such a good tool. Imagination is a link that connects our thoughts, our emotions, and our body. Our emotional life, in fact, is life of images. When we evoke images, we evoke feelings. When we evoke feelings, we change our physiology. I spoke about it, but um, you can read more later about the subject. By making positive changes within our imagination, we can positively affect our feelings and our bodies. And I told you about the five major areas in which imagination can be used as a tool for healing and health maintenance. Um, if you, again, if you miss that talk, you, you go on my website and read the therapeutic use of imagination. But today, the, we'll use the aspect of mental imagery um, for one of these aspects of changing, identifying, and if necessary, changing your belief system. Beliefs underlying and motivating our behavior are not discernible as the behavior itself, like overeating or smoking or fighting or yelling, screaming. Uh, it cannot be easily figured out. Rather, it's an abstract idea which only attains form and focus through either our the way we live uh, or when observed through one's inner lens of imagination or night dreams, which is also imagination. This perception of reality affects the way we consciously think, feel, and behave. Once the belief system is identified through its form, the image, if a person discovers that uh, the belief system is not so healthy, he or she may choose to, quote, remember the adverse, the negative images in a new way. And by doing so, create a new image slash, slash belief that is more in keeping with their conscious aspirations. So first I will guide you through some mental imagery exercises. And after, uh, after we finish those exercises, I would like to spend some time uh, talking about your experiences and your responses to the exercises. And then you may decide that you want to make some changes. The beautiful thing about imagery is that there is no right or wrong image. Whatever happened is the right way for you. Whatever image comes is the right image for you. As you practice, you may discover that your ability to have experiences gets better and better. As long as you consciously don't make up stories, uh, that is, you don't start saying to yourself, well, what should I see? What is the best thing that I can see? Uh, just let it happen. Whatever comes to your mind, it is the right image. That's it. Here is something very important before we begin to the exploratory exercises. It's very important to make corrections to experiences, which uh, show you something that uh, if, if it's negative, because there is a reciprocal relationship between our waking reality and our unconscious beliefs. That's the whole purpose of doing these exercises. I repeat, there is a reciprocal relationship between our waking life, what, what happens with, 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 what, with us every day. 
when we walk on the street, when we interact with people, and our unconscious beliefs, which are, or, or will discover them, will be represented by images that will pop into your mind. If the image is negative, it reflects that everyday reality and your unconscious beliefs are negative. If, if your reality changes, so will the images. And the opposite is also true. If you change the images, your reality and your unconscious beliefs will change as well, sooner or later. So once again, if you discover something you do not like, always make corrections. So at the end, you come victorious. Uh, so let me first, again, before, we, before I give you exercises, I want to tell you how to make corrections because at the end of each exercise, you may like what you saw or you may not like it. So if you don't like it, the best is don't follow me. Stop listening to me. Make a correction. Or if you want to continue participating in exercises that I give, quickly jet down, write down the negative image that you had, making sure that later you make a correction. Do not leave negative images uncorrected. So how do you make a correction? So you, you close your eyes. Don't do it now, just to remember. You close your eyes and mentally state to yourself the intention which means, for example, if you saw yourself being a prisoner, say, you say to yourself, I'm doing this with an exercise to become free. If you see yourself being victimized, uh, I, you say to yourself, I'm uh, doing this with the intention to be a victor or, or to feel safe. So, so you, after you state the intention, you imagine number five, five turning into four, three, two, one, zero. See zero elongating and becoming uh, uh, an oval, an oval turning into a mirror. Now, then imagine stepping into the mirror, going through the mirror, and into the image of the greatest distress, which means if you were victimized somehow in your image, you go into the moment when you are just about to be victimized and use your will and imagination to make a resolution to your liking. You may inspire, inspire the, um, somebody who is refusing to do something, whatever image, or you may be inspired, you may decide to fight, or you may decide to call police, whatever you need, you do. Whatever you need, whatever feels right in the moment, you do, and then you, once you see the positive resolution, you go back to the mirror, you step out of the mirror, see the mirror as it's closing, showing you the image of your triumph, and then open your eyes. And now, finally, we start the exploration of your unconscious beliefs. Um, we will give you the first exercise that I remember I already gave one time uh, in one of the classes, maybe, or not classes, uh, talks, and maybe even when I was introducing imagery. But I assume that many people who are listening to me now did not listen to me 
then. So it, and it's such a good exercise. I don't want to skip it. So let's start with the first exercise. Even, but by the way, even if you did go through this exercise already, just don't go back to the same image. See what comes to you today, because we did this exercise if we did maybe three months ago. So close your eyes. Breathe out gently, long, slow exhalations. Nice and easy inhalation. Breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. And imagine in any way it comes to you that you are a tree. Feel yourself being a tree and notice how tall you are, how big your trunk is, how deep your roots are, what kind of a day is it? Is it sunny or cloudy? Is it daytime or night? Are you close to other trees? Or they're far away from you? How do you feel? Then, when ready, breathe out one time and open your eyes. Now, this exercise is designed to explore your current state of mind, your perception of yourself, your relationship with your family and other people. The tree, of course, are you. You had the opportunity to find out your strength, your rootedness, how close you or far away you are from other people. There is nothing that you need to do if you discovered uh, everything that is that is positive, but if you feel that there are trees that overshadow you, you may think how it relates to your everyday life. You cannot walk away as a tree. You cannot go back and walk away from the tree. This is more to get an insight. You don't need to make any much much correction unless. Uh, you want to go and water the tree. That would be a very nice exercise and, and nurture the tree and bring fertilizers so that if the tree is weak, if the image came that the tree is weak and doesn't get enough nutrients or grow roots if the roots are not connected. By that, you unconsciously stimulate yourself to be connected with your roots, with your family, perhaps with your community or society. Okay? So now, next exercise. Close your eyes. Breathe out gently three times. Long, slow exhalations. Nice and easy inhalation. Breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. Think or imagine yourself walking up to a fence Notice how tall it is, how tall the fence is, what it's made of. Now look over the fence. What is on the other side of the fence? If the fence is too tall, bring a ladder. Lean it against the fence, climb the ladder and see what's there. 
and open your eyes. Now, this exercise was exploring your unconscious perception, the world you live in, and what is behind the obstacles, behind the fence, or, or challenges that you encounter on, encounter on your way. If the fence uh, is way too high, it means that the obstacles you encounter are quite challenging. Uh, if 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 it's not high, then it's okay. It means you don't see obstacles being mountains. What you saw on the other side is significant. Some people could probably see a green field uh, pasture that signifies that you're connected with nature or, or that you see the obstacles as a natural part of life. If you saw something disturbing, that means that your inner world is not at peace, regardless what you think about yourself consciously. That tells you the truth. So then make a correction. If you saw something disturbing, remember, this is your world. These are your images. Uh, with this, let me help you out with this first correction. With the following exercises, you will have to be creative and make corrections on your own. So let's say you came up to a fence and found that the fence was too tall. That simply means that you see the obstacles as, as serious problems. In your correction, you can envision yourself jumping over the fence as if you were a human grasshopper. Uh, if you saw yourself climbing the ladder, and it was hard uh, and you were out of breath, first make a correction and see yourself climbing with these. But also perhaps it would be a good idea to notice how your breathing is in your waking life, in your everyday life. And if it's not easy, maybe it's a good idea to see a physician. Because remember, the imagination not only tells us about our mental, emotional uh, state, of being, but also about our physical state of being. Let's do another exercise. Close your eyes. And imagine yourself walking into a classroom. Others are talking. As you come in, they stop talking and look at you. What happens? How do you feel? Then open your eyes. This exercise was exploring how you feel when you join others and what you feel others feel about you. Uh, I find that some people, not all, but find themselves suddenly being at uh, a younger age in their elementary school or middle school if there were any uh, conflicting feelings at that time and they migrated into your adulthood and they could have possibly appeared in the imagery and if needed you make a correction always make a resolution to your liking it does not matter what happened in your historical memory in fact i remember 
one time doing this exercise and I had in my class a guy with, you know, these big muscles, a man in his 50s, but the sleeves are rolled up and his muscles bulging. It's almost like you definitely know there is a problem because he needs to show off his muscles. And when we did this exercise, he kind of was a little bit embarrassed sharing, but he still wanted the feedback. And he said he saw himself being like a little boy and two kids were beat, hit, uh, kicking him with their feet. And, you know, I never actually asked if that was a historical memory or it was a symbolic image that came to, to him. It wasn't important. The important thing was that deep inside, he really felt he could be easily victimized. That's why we understand now he needed those muscles and to show off. So I sent him back, asked him to go back um, into his image and make a correction, which he did. And in, in that exercise, he actually chose not to kick those kids back, but to engage them in a conversation and make peace. And it is my belief, and it's been my experience, that engaging those unconscious little demons, we make actually corrections in how we feel in our waking life today. Next exercise. Close your eyes. And imagine yourself in a box. You are in a box. Notice how you feel. What do you do? Then open your eyes. Um, I don't know, nobody is calling, telling me what, what your experience was, but with this exercise, there are so many different reactions. Some people find that they're just relaxing in their box and it's a carton box. And some people feel uncomfortable, feel suffocated and burst out of the box, uh, break the box. Uh, and some, I actually had somebody who uh, felt safe in the box. And um, it was a one-to-one -one, uh, session. So I asked him if he was willing to go out of the box. And he said, no, I'm afraid what I will find that beyond that box is so. And only when I told him that he can return back to the box, he was willing to peek out and see what was out there. So. Whatever you experienced, whatever feelings you felt um, were telling you how you feel when you are in, in a challenging situation and there are constraints. So just quickly close your eyes, breathe out gently one time, long, slow exhalation, and find your way out of the box. Then open your eyes. Now this exercise, of course, was uh, tool for, for you to practice your imagination to find freedom. So if you are satisfied with everything, you don't need to make any more correction. But if you found 
your way out of the box in some way that uh, you don't feel completely liberated, you don't feel completely free, or you have difficulties uh, breaking out of the box, you need to go back. Remember, there is total freedom within imagination. The only thing that limits you is your will within imagination. There, take a risk. Do what feels right to you. And let's do now the next exercise. We do a couple of more exercises. We see how we still have time. Close your eyes and breathe out gently. Slow breathing in and out. Long, slow exhalations. Nice and easy inhalations. Breathing out. Twice as slow as breathing in. Imagine you are walking down the road. Suddenly somebody taps you on the shoulder from behind. What happens? What do you feel? What do you do? Then open your eyes. Of course, this exercise was exploring what happens when unexpected events of people come into your life. Again, if you're satisfied with how you felt and what you did in the situation, do nothing. If needed, make a correction. From now on, I will not repeat about making corrections if necessary, but know that that's what you do. I will I assume that you have to do it. But again, this is a, a very what this exercise that we did was a very important exercise. You know, uh, I, I I actually worked with a woman who uh, was telling me how sweet she is and, and how nice she is always with, with men, and yet she has difficulties finding relationships. Um, just a, prob a problem meeting new men, uh, or uh, if sometimes when she has a conversation, just doesn't go anywhere. And so I did this exercise with her, and when I said, what, what happened um, when somebody tapped you on the shoulder? And she said to me, I turned around and smacked him in the face. <laughs> it tells you something. You know, and other people, of course, say, oh, my, my sister uh, was catching up with me. Or my, I saw a friend. I saw like a little animal bringing me flowers, whatever. But I remember this particular woman. I imagine what her expectation is or was. The expectation was uh, that that something bad ha happened from from men. Something bad will come. I hear somebody's. I see somebody's calling. Uh, Neil is calling. Uh, so I would like to take this telephone call. Hello. Greetings. For taking my call, Peter. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for calling. You have a question or comment? Uh, the I've been meaning to call in. Mm -hmm. And, um, right. At, okay. The exercise of being in the box. Uh -huh. I was in the box of my own volition. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to get out of the box, I simply pushed my hand up against the lid and stood up and got out. 
<clears throat> but I decided to call because then the following exercise was one that you did, mm-hmm. I think, in your first or second week. Uh-huh. It might have been slightly more detailed. I'm walking down a narrow path, and there might have been a line of trees on the right. Uh-huh. But the operative action was someone tapped me on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. My reaction was to turn around, and I wanted to tell you that when I turned around, no one was there. So I don't know if that in a long do you do you understand what what it is or you want me to no. comment? I don't fully understand what it is, but when I turned around to see who tapped me on the shoulder, nobody was there. Mm-hmm. that's why I called so, him. Oh, he's doing that yeah. exercise again. <laughs> yeah, Neil, I have a question actually before I give you my my take on it. Mm-hmm. Um when somebody tapped you on the shoulder, did you have a positive feeling or you had kind of sense of fear? No alarm whatsoever. No alarm whatsoever. So I, I tell you what my take, that's a very interesting image. I don't think that that I heard this one before, even though I gave this exercise to many, many people. Uh, my take on it would be that Um, it's your look somebody did tap you on the shoulder but that was my direction to you that is I gave you the exercise so somebody was supposed to tap you on the shoulder right you Uh followed the instruction but then when you turn around there is nobody there so my, my personal feeling is that Somehow, when things happen, when you encounter people in reality, you may think there is somebody there, but but nobody is there. You may, let's say, if it's an obstacle, you may think there is an obstacle, but it's really nothing. Or or opposite, you may think that somebody uh, coming in your life with something uh, good, but in reality, nothing good comes out of it. Tell me, but tell me, please, if it makes any sense to you. Please, it, it doesn't have to, because your take on it is as good as mine. I'm just telling you what intuitively I pick up from this exercise. But it's collaborative work. Does it make any sense to you? That is, have you encountered in your life where... Uh, do you know you know the Shakespeare much to do about nothing? Yes, or the right? expression goes much so, ado, ado. Right. So, so in the Shakespeare. Uh, so, it's like something does happen, but it's really nothing. You may be disappointed. What was the feeling when you found that there was nobody there? What was your feeling? It was as close to the absence of feeling as mm. you could come. So even though there's no fear, it may have been a negation of my ego. Oh, that's, that's my, so interesting. My, wow. My self-image, of my self-image, because we're all reflections of one another. But I have to say this in light of the fact that I broke with your assumption 
Uh-huh. I broke away from your assumption because the exercise, the instruction was that somebody tapped me on the right. shoulder. So the assumption must be that someone was there, and I broke with that. So that's that speaks to me the word denial. Oh, not to me, oh, Neil. To me, it's something else. To me, it's a wonderful thing. You know, when when I give people instructions and they see something else, and then they quickly change it to what I said. Let's say I say, uh, close your eyes and see yourself walking on the road. And then I say, and it's daytime, but they saw nighttime and they said, oh, 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 now I have to change. That means they're compliant. They're trying to fit. They give up what is true to them. But with you, no, I told you somebody tapping on the shoulder. We assume that somebody will be there. Nobody is there. And you did not manufacture it. That means integrity of self. You see what I mean? You did not make up a story. You were true to your own image. Nothing was there. I see it as a wonderful, wonderful statement, actually, about you. And I don't know if it's true, if it, if, if you know this about yourself, that you are not a pushover. You're not going to pretend that something is there when it's not. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Well, if we're dealing with the phenomenon or the power of suggestion yes but I would have to think further I don't always understand things right away yeah but you know I, I want to say that our our goal is really to escape the power of suggestion of other people and to follow our own voice so from that perspective I see it as a positive thing that you Yes, I gave you a suggestion. See yourself in such and such a way. And you were true to your way. So escaping hypnosis of conditioning, of suggestions of society or any authority is a wonderful thing. And like you said, I need to reflect on it. And it's right. Don't buy into what I'm saying. Take your time and reflect on what is true to you. Neil, thank you so much for calling. I was very happy to talk to you. And our now show is coming to an end. So we'll continue two weeks from now uh, the same uh, exp- exploration of the unconscious beliefs because I have a lot of exercises to do. Thank you very much again for calling. Okay. And I want to thank everybody for being with me today. Our show indeed uh, came to an end. That was very quick. Uh, I don't know how it felt to you. And I hope to have you here next week when I interview our special guest. And I wish all those who want to live in peace, peace. <laughs>